Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Wolf warrior. Boom! Doesn't that get the blood going? That is the new blockbuster phenomenon. I mean, it is no way to describe this anything else as other than being than a phenomenon. Wolf Warriors 2, $682 million worldwide at the box office. Of course, probably 99.8% of that is in Chinese movies, uh, Chinese cinemas. So, Kobus, the reason why this is so important is because for our audience, I guess, you know, 99% of our audience probably hasn't heard of Wolf Warriors 2, but it is a movie set in Africa. And in so many ways, this movie is just the perfect kind of, you know, manifestation of how kind of Chinese popular culture sees itself. I think in many ways, it's a reflection how China, a lot of Chinese people, particularly pop culture, now views Africa. The tagline of the movie, and in Kobus as a media scholar, I'm going to be, I really want to get your take on this. Whoever offends China will be hunted down no matter how far away they are. That was the tagline? That was the tagline of the movie. <laughs> I mean, this thing, there is so much for you and I to unpack in this movie, and I can't wait to have this discussion with you. Uh, I've been watching, I've watched the movie in bits and pieces all week on my subway ride, and I was just so excited, but that is the tagline. Yeah, I've I've just finished finished watching it. It is amazing. <laughs> it's really entertaining, and it, at the same time, it is it's just the, the depictions of Africa is just insane. Um, the main the main thing that uh, the main uh, echo that I saw was with nineteen eighties Hollywood action movies like Rambo. Um, you know, the, the there's there's a, a kind of unquestioning. Um, affirmation and acceptance of of the state, um, you know that that you don't see in contemporary Hollywood action movies. There's a, there's a much clearer distinction between good guys and bad guys. Okay, um, and that I think is is very revealing. Let me before we get too deep into this conversation, I think it's going to be important to let me set up the the kind of the plot line of this. Uh, the movie stars. Uh, and is directed by, uh, you know, action sensation Wu Jing. I mean, this guy. And in many ways, you know, if the American, as you pointed out, the American kind of hero is Rambo, which is big and muscular. Uh, this is a guy who is, you know, smart and stealthy. And it's it's interesting to compare the kind of the way that the Chinese express machismo and the way that Americans do. Uh, but he's a former special forces operative, and he's he does a, a fictional foray into an unnamed African country. We don't actually know what country this is, and, and they go to great lengths to not kind of pigeonhole one part of Africa. There are hints of West Africa when they bring up the Ebola theme. Uh, there are there are hints of of East Africa and, and and the South Sudan conflict when they when they show some of the landscapes of it. So it's really in many ways a composite. And then there are hints of the kind of lush Sahara uh, desert, and then also of course the um, not the lush the the, the lush uh, savannas. I, I mean in the in East Africa where of course there are lions and giraffes and whatnot. So he goes down to rescue his Chinese compatriots. Uh, and this is the best part, Kobus, not from kind of sinister, evil black Africans, which there were some that he was killing, 
uh, but mostly from white people. <laughs> yes. I mean, that was a yes, twist notably. that I didn't see. I mean, so, okay, so that is the setting, and basically it's an hour and a half, uh, almost like, you know, it's basically just a porn movie of violence and blow things up, and, I mean, it's just one after another, but people love it. It's very slickly made. Um, it looks great. The the action is, is credible. It's you know kind of it's very effectively paced. Um, it's a yeah. It's a, I mean it's a big blockbuster like well made big blockbuster movie. Um, but what what is amazing for me is it seems like a real benchmark in in the sense that. Now, it's, you know, it, in the past when we talked about uh, media, you know, depictions of China-Africa relations, we frequently made the point that China, the, the mainstream Chinese audience in, in China frequently, you know, doesn't, doesn't care very, very much about Africa and that, you know, and that frequently that, um, you know, that Africa isn't really in the media mainstream in, in China. Um, this seems to be a change, you know, kind of like Africa is front and center here and China, Chinese kind of interest in Africa is front and center in the, in the movie and the movie is a massive commercial success. So do you think this indicates that the Chinese popul populace now, you know, kind of is it's a lot more aware of China's uh, presence in Africa? Not at all. Uh, I don't think this any more than an American audience was aware of America's presence in Vietnam after watching Rambo, as you pointed out. Uh, this, the depiction of, of Africa to me was so stereotypical caricature, uh, those embedded narratives you and I have talked about for so long. I mean, it, we talked about before the show that if we turned the stereotypes into a drinking game, you and I would be hammered. So every time a caricature of Africa came on screen. You had to drink. Okay. So uh, we saw, of course, dancing happy children. That was one. We saw uh, natives dancing, and that was how they phrased it, you know, around a bonfire. Uh, that was two. <laughs> drink. We saw giraffes and, and, uh, and lions. One lion even eating a zebra. Drink. Uh, of course, they were in a four-by-four <laughs> four going through, you know, lush drink, lush grass. Let's see what else was there. Oh, child soldiers. Soccer Ebola. on the beach. Yes. Yeah, Ebola. On the beach. Uh, I mean, it was just one. I mean, by that time, eight drinks in, and, and you know, I would be completely hammered. <laughs> so I don't think this informs or educates anybody about Africa. I think it deepens the stereotypes uh, that Africa is here. And Africa is a very new concept in China. Whereas in the United States, these stereotypes are deeply, deeply entrenched. So this is what most people already think. And the reason I say this is because as an American watching this film, I recognized so many of the cinematic shortcuts that they took in their storytelling that was borrowed right out of central casting in Hollywood. So we talked last year, just last year, uh, about a TV show called Madam Secretary that had a China-Africa theme. And they portrayed Africa in equally kind of pathetic ways as this movie did. So I don't think there was any education for the Chinese masses about Africa in this film. Africa, in my view, did not exist in this film. There were black people. It was set in a lush, tropical, developing country around the, you know, the equator. But there was no real presence of Africa, despite what maybe the directors and the writers of this film may think. And, and maybe popular culture in China thinks, wow, look at this. But that's not what this film was really about at the end of the day.
Okay, let me push back a bit against that slightly. Um, in in the sense that I, I agree with you that the Africa portrayed here is extremely stereotypical. Um, but it is interesting for me that the some of the talking points that come up are coherent with Chinese government talking points about Africa. So these include uh, medical cooperation, Chinese medical volunteerism, um, Chinese vaccine provision, um, you know, anti-piracy work. So it, in, even if the depictions of Africa is extremely stereotypical, the depiction is still, I mean, they could have depicted anywhere, right? Kind of, I mean, it could easily have been Central Asia as well. Um, but they either, so they chose Africa, and then when they chose Africa, the, the it fitted into actual to, to some of the realities of actual Chinese presence in Africa and it seemed to be at pains to to kind of um, no, how can I say like not to sound academic but to normalize them right kind of to, to make them to make to to make them the basis of the story and then to to kind of justify them one by one so in that sense it seems interesting to me that that the movie takes so much time and so much investment to actually put Africa, to make Africa the kind of background to it, when they could easily have made it also, you know, be Southeast Asia or, or Central Asia or even South America if they wanted to. That's a fair point. And there was a lot of, in the dialogue, there's awkward dialogue. At one point, you remember where they said, uh, don't kill the Chinese because the, their government is the only permanent member of the Security Council that is in this country. <laughs> and you're like, who writes that in a script? And so clearly... <laughs> There was just something very comical about it because you know this is being done in in, in coordination with the state uh, or at least the Communist Party uh, or it's preemptively done to avoid censorship. But let me let me you talked about normalization of of ideals here. And I and let me just kind of step back a little bit from that point because I think it normalizes something else. And this goes back to oh gosh, I, maybe 2 years ago when Xi Jinping signed into law, or the National People's Congress put into law, the new anti-terrorism bill. And that, that anti-terrorism bill allows Chinese special forces and the deployment of Chinese troops to go overseas in protection of Chinese people and property. And when you see the Chinese Navy, I mean, when I saw the aircraft carriers and the, the battleships and the battle groups that they had that they displayed... It felt a lot like watching Top Gun in, in, you know, in the 1990s in America. And it was, it was exciting. I mean, it's powerful. It's, now China can deploy military forces all the way around the world. And, and, and it's just neat and cool to see kind of big hardware like that. And you know, it, it, that part is exciting. But I think that is normalizing the Chinese public and getting the Chinese public ready for when Chinese troops are deployed overseas to do these types of interventions, and much like the Cosby show, pave the way for a black American president uh, by normalizing middle-class black America, by conveying these type of images uh, on, on such a large scale as they're doing with this movie, uh, it becomes acceptable when the, the, the day comes when the Chinese military is deployed into situations like there, like it was portrayed in the movie. And I just thought, you know, that to me was very, very interesting. I, I kept walking away with what are people going to think when they watch this movie when Chinese nationals are in fact in trouble? They are going to say, why not you do it what happened in Wolf Warrior 2? And I think the government will act. Yes, I, I tend to agree with that. And I, it's interesting that you bring up Top Gun because I think I think it's an excellent um, comparison, um, including because Top Gun was made with the full participation of the U.S. Navy. 
as, Air Force. as was Wolf um, Warrior 2 was so made with it, the cooperation of the PLA Navy as well. You could tell because those warships were not. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering. I was wondering how many of those were real aircraft carriers and how many were CGI. I, um, and it would be fascinating to to know. It was. It didn't look CGI. I mean, I might be wrong, but some of the CGI in that movie was so amateur, and you could see it, and it was just like really. Um, but the Navy stuff, I I got the sense was real, and my guess is that was in a. The same thing what the Pentagon did was they saw an opportunity in Top Gun with Tom Cruise to make a recruiting video, and I think that the, the, this had the full participation of the PLA Navy, that it just seemed that way. You know, in terms of Chinese blockbusters, I think it breaks new ground in portraying China as this kind of internationally active um, force. I would actually, I, I would love to hear from people who are real experts on on. on you know, kind of new Chinese film um, to to talk about that a little bit because some of the blockbusters that I've seen before, like more recent ones that I've been watching before, frequently they they if we're in China's interaction with international with the international world, frequently China's acted upon. So many of them are set, for example, during Japanese colonial times uh, or t- colonial times when when China was was colonized by Japan, um, and it's very interesting to see to see this kind of depiction of China as you know. Moving across the sea, like arriving on the you know on the foreign shore, um, it's yeah, it's 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 striking to see it. It was uh, it was so funny because at, at certain points in the movie, you can tell that there was a theme to diss the United States, and, and this was one of the threads that went through it. First of all, uh, quite a few American actors in the movie. Uh, in fact, the the co-star who is uh, I don't know if she's Chinese American or. If she she looked white to me, uh, but spoke a really nice Chinese, I have to admit, and she spoke uh, a lot of her lines were in Chinese, but she was supposed to be an American character. And there's at one point where they're fleeing her and Wu Jing, uh, that was Lung Feng, who is the again the the special operations hero of the movie, and uh, they're running away and they're fleeing, and so she's trying to furiously kind of call the American embassy. And he says, why are you calling the Americans? Where are they? Waste of time. And she said, well, I didn't get through. <laughs> and, then she said, and then he said, well, how did you reach them? She says, by Twitter. And he says, see, the Americans are good for nothing. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, and I think in some ways that is a, a sign of the times. I mean, this is, what, this is how a popular culture and entertainment and art is reflecting the times. And this is a perception of the United States. Uh, whether it's true or not, it is the perception that people are having, that the United States is becoming increasingly impotent. And in the minds of Chinese moviegoers, their government is proactive. And what was very, again, funny, I think, for you and I, uh, it wasn't intended to be funny. But at one point in early part of the movie, too, they're trying to make their way through the the urban battleground to get to the Chinese embassy. And they, they get there, and there's all of these kind of militia fighters and, they, and the Chinese hold up their arms saying, we're Chinese, we're Chinese. And then the fighters put their guns down as if like, that's okay, great, go on ahead. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, solid, the solidarity between, between the Chinese and the Africans is a, is a big theme in, in the whole movie. Um, with, with the amazing kind of final image of, of um, the, the main hero kind of putting his, his essentially like, like using his, his arm as a kind of a flagpole, you know, kind of with, with waving the Chinese flag while, while riding on an open jeep. <laughs> this kind of convoy of, of China arriving, you know, kind of an everyone throwing down the guns. Yeah, I mean, but this does reflect a real sense of confidence that the Chinese have now. 
whether it's misplaced or whether it's appropriate, uh, I'll leave other smarter, more enlightened people to decide. But what you can tell from this movie is that there is a nationalism and a patriotism that is being whipped up and fueled. Again, as an American, I grew up on these movies. And if you just scratched out all of the Chinese and replaced the characters, the language, the country with the United States, that's what we did for 30, 40 years. We don't make movies like this anymore because I don't think we believe ourselves to be this anymore. I mean, we will. Yeah, make- no, this this gives me a strong, a strongly Reaganite feeling. Um, you know, the it's and and the movies, the Hollywood movies now are are kind of a to a certain extent, a kind of a throwback to paranoid seventies movies, seventies uh, Hollywood Hollywood movies. You know, there's a lot of influence of, of movies like The Parallax View, for example, in in contemporary thrillers, where the the state is. You, you can't you can't tell on whose side the state is. It's very sinister. Um, but yeah, this there's there's no questioning of the state in this movie. The you know the state is is pure. This it's it's its aims are pure. Um, and you know and and it's, it is this kind of interesting thing, very like Rambo, of how a man that is essentially too morally righteous to even be in the army then goes rogue and then reaffirms. Chinese kind of reaffirms the, the armed forces in the end, you know, kind of through being a kind of an army of one. It's interesting because if you look at what the popular American war movies of the day are, um, they're not war movies about Afghanistan or Iraq, which of course we've been in over 10 years now fighting. So we've had more than enough time for Hollywood to catch up to create movies about the heroism of soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan. But I don't think the culture believes in these wars. So therefore, Hollywood doesn't feel that it can sell them in that way. So what we've seen over the past few years are Hacksaw Ridge. Now Dunkirk came out this summer. So we're going back to a time where it was binary. America was good. The rest of the world was bad. And in so many ways, the themes of, or Dunkirk wasn't really about Americans, but it was about that period of time that Americans can feel good about the Saving Private Ryan type of theme, where it was very, very clear. And this goes back to the theme of Donald Trump of Make America Great Again, where, again, it was easy to feel good about being an American. And I think right now with this movie, Wolf Warrior 2, it's easy to feel good about being Chinese in the world when you see this movie because you're a force for good, you're helping people, you're a strong, benevolent, powerful country that's righteous and moral. There was so much morality in this movie. And that was very Mm. interesting to me as well. I am not suggesting, and I just want to put this disclaimer out, that the morality that they're portraying is accurate or, you know, even good. But this is how they are reflecting themselves in Africa and in the world, I think, right now. And and this is not going to be the last of these movies. If it's it's on its way to gross a billion dollars, there's no doubt you're going to see now 50 of these movies come out in the next two years. What I'm very intrigued by is whether any whether there's going to be any kind of uh, distribution of this in Africa, um, and whether it's going to get whether a dubbed version of this is going to be shown in Africa because the you know the recently there's been so much rollout of Chinese media um, both in, in East and West Africa and so these Star Times the satellite TV companies is rolling out uh, low cost satellite TV and both in um, in East and West Africa and with the um, the if you are a, a low-income household and you get this you get it at highly subsidized 
prices, so, so it's quite cheap. And then you can choose through from a few different packages. And the cheapest package is mostly Chinese content. And it's Chinese content that is actually, that's been dubbed frequently into local languages. So, I mean, it would be fascinating to see whether this and then, you know, subsequent movies are actually going to start playing in Africa. I highly doubt that it's going to be on start times and simply because I think the rights issues are going to make it so expensive mm. to, to be available. Now, that being said, will you be able to buy it at your local pirate DVD shop maybe next week, the week after? Sure. Uh, you and I certainly watched it on a downloaded torrent. By the way, there are now English subtitle downloaded torrents that you can get. So uh, I highly recommend if you have the chance to, to, to watch it. To, to check it out because anybody listening to the show is a follower of China Africa and this is this is precious I mean in so many different ways it just makes you smile I mean it's just funny how much there is to unpack in this movie about kind of how the Chinese see themselves in Africa and how they see themselves in the world the movie is Wolf Warrior 2 it stars Wu Jing he is a character named Lung Feng who is a former Chinese special operative who goes and just kicks butt throughout Africa, killing probably... What do you think the body count on this movie was? Maybe yeah, the body count is in the hundreds. Oh, yeah. at least. I mean, 500, <laughs> 600. And, you know, again, black people dying with abandon. Uh, the white people, when they were killed, it was dramatic and it was kind of played out. Uh, that's why I kind of felt like, again, Africa was a prop here. It wasn't really uh, a, a real thing. Um, would you... Yeah, final, I agree with you. Yeah. Final question for you. How do you think... Africans uh, are going to respond to this movie when they see it, either as a torrent or as in they, they go to the movies or at home on a pay TV service. How do you think that people will respond to it? I think with a lot of ambivalence. <laughs> I, I, I imagine a lot of heated discussion. Um, among others, because Africans are essentially used as props and because Africa is essentially used as a, as a stage background. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that it is essentially a white savior narrative that's just been re refigured for the China-Africa relationship, that's going to make it very controversial. So I would love to watch this as an African audience and, and, and see how into it they get and, like, and, and what they say about the depictions of Africans because I, I think a lot of them will be pretty offended, actually. And I would love to hear what Americans have to think about this because there is no more visible example of America being displaced in the world than this movie. I mean, that is this. Yeah, this the is, only the only Americans that show up are evil. Well, and they're also evil mercenaries. We're being made fun of, and at the same time, there is this sense that this is what America used to do by deploying navies to far, you know, you know, far flung parts of the world to have former special operations and to have military kind of you know activities going on and to have the resources and the diplomatic presence and all of that and again the morality that's in the movie so uh if you're an american i would love to hear what you have to say what your comments are cobus wants to hear about africans so uh but you know tell us what you think if you've had a chance to see the movie it is a provocative movie for people on the outside we've gotten already some feedback from some media scholars who were just mortally offended, it seemed like, by it. <laughs> Which, there is something to be said for that. There's no doubt. Uh, but it is entertaining. There's a lot of stuff blowing up. So, uh, anyway, that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. Uh, Kobus van Staden and I will be back again next week with another show. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to Facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show or follow China Africa News that's updated every four hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadenesk, 
or eric at eolander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Subscribe to the China Africa podcast on iTunes or download the mobile apps for iOS, Android, or Windows Phone. Just head over to your favorite store and search for China Africa. China Africa.